From Arab Center, Washington, D.C., this is Five Questions. Welcome to Five Questions, a show where we unpack some of the big issues of the day. Brought to you by Arab Center, Washington, D.C. I'm Yusuf Munair. In this episode, we'll be talking about the protests among Israelis and where Palestinians fit into it all. Hundreds of thousands of Israelis have taken to the streets over several weeks to protest the Israeli government's legislative agenda aimed at further weakening its court system. These protests have been cast by some as an all-out effort to, quote, save Israeli democracy. Missing from these protests, however, is the presence of a community which makes up 20% of Israel's population, and many more living under the control of the Israeli military, the Palestinians. This absence from a protest ostensibly about democracy is stark, especially given that individual minority rights, regardless of religion or ethnic origin, are key democratic norms. Today, we dive into the question of the Palestinian position toward the unprecedented protests that have shaken the Israeli state. Joining me to discuss this situation uh, is Deanna Butu. Deanna is a Palestinian lawyer, writer, and analyst. Her writings and analysis have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, as well as the Guardian, among many others. Previously, she was a legal advisor to the PLO. Deanna joins me now. Deanna, thanks so much for coming on to Five Questions. Thank you, Yusuf. Thanks for having me. So let's start with this. When you hear these protests by Israelis being described as an effort to save Israeli democracy, what goes through your head? Well, I have to save myself from laughing first. Um, and the reason I'm trying to stop myself from laughing is because this is hardly about democracy. It's about preserving this idea of Jewish supremacy. If this were really about democracy, we would actually be seeing that those who are the most affected by not only the changes to the judiciary, but the changes in the system as a whole, you'd see be them being on the front lines. In other words, you'd see Palestinians on the front lines. But we're not there, and there's a reason that we're not there. Um, but this is not at all about democracy. This is instead about making sure that the same system that has been applied to 50% of the population that is under Israel's control, which makes up 20% of the population of Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship, and the entire population of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which amounts to 50% of the people from the land, from the river to the sea, they want to make sure that that same system is not applied to them. In other words, they want to make sure that that there isn't a, a change to, um, to, to the judiciary that can somehow undo their rights. They're fine with there being no rights for Palestinians, but when it's a question of, of their rights and how they're being affected, that's when they take issue. Um, one of the things that has been funny, Yusuf, in, 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 when you ask me about what I, when I hear about this, is just the reaction that we've seen to Palestinians who've even attempted to raise the issue of Palestinian rights or to raise the issue of democracy, where there's been an effective slapdown um, of Palestinians or of anti-Zionist Israelis. Uh, any attempt to even broaden the question of democracy gets turned into uh, to, in, turned into an effective slapdown. So this again is not at all about 
saving democracy. It's about making sure that the same system that has been applied to 50% of the population is no longer applied to them. So, so much of the focus of these protests has been around the independence of the court system and their ability to protect people's rights. And as you made clear, it's about protecting the rights of certain people, right? And not the, the rights of, of everybody. And I want to ask you specifically about the role of the courts when it comes to the rights of Palestinians, both inside Israel and in the OPT. What has been the role of the courts when it comes to Palestinians? What these judicial reforms aim to do, for those who may not know, is that if there is a decision that comes out by the by the Supreme Court and um, it's an unpopular decision, that by a simple Knesset majority, so a simple parliamentary majority can undo that decision. This is effectively what he's seeking to put forward. That and as well have a system whereby the Knesset appoints um, members of the judiciary. Now, the the reason that that he has, uh, Netanyahu has labeled this court as being an activist court. He's labeled this court as being a left-wing court. And despite the fact that there are settlers who are on the court, and despite the fact that this is a court that has been very much a court that has enabled the occupation rather than ended it, it's rubber-stamped. Israel's actions rather than challenge them. And I can give you some examples. For example, just in just in the um, in May of last year, it was this same Supreme Court that cleared the way for the ethnic cleansing of Masafariyata, which is home to a thousand Palestinians. This is the same so-called liberal uh, Supreme Court that has allowed the use of torture. This is the same liberal Supreme Court that has allowed Palestinians to be held in prison effectively um, without, without trial, without charge, effectively without, um, without an end date for years and years. This is the same Supreme Court that has rubber stamped and approved the demolition of Palestinian homes. This is the same Supreme Court that has allowed for uh, the wall to be built. And this is the same Supreme Court that has shied away from declaring Israeli settlements as illegal. So far from it being a, a an activist court or a liberal court, it has actually been the chief enabler or among the chief enablers of Israel's system of occupation. It, it is rarely challenged or put on a halt to Israel's actions. To the contrary, it has rubber stamped those actions. And what was interesting is, was when Netanyahu was giving his speech the other night and talking about how, how liberal this court is, he couldn't, of course, refer to a single decision relating to Palestinians who are either citizens of Israel or Palestinians who are living in the occupied territories, because this is, this is a court that has never been liberal or never been on the side of Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship or those who are living in the occupied territories. So the idea that somehow people are rallying to try to save this, um, this liberal court 
is, is again, a joke. Look, I'm somebody who is opposed to these uh, legal reforms. I think that they are unnecessary, and I think it's effectively a way for Netanyahu to try to save his own hide and to make sure that he doesn't see any prison time, given the corruption charges that he's facing. At the same time, I think we're doing a, a it's a huge leap to somehow claim that this has been a court that has done anything other than rubber stamp the violations uh, against Palestinians. And when it comes to Palestinian citizens of Israel, you know, they uh, are a fifth of the population uh, of Israeli citizens. Uh, in recent years, they've been playing increasingly important roles in Israeli politics. And yet they're largely absent from these mobilizations altogether. And I say largely because there are some rare exceptions. Um, but there doesn't seem to be, despite despite the absence of a presence from these mobilizations, there doesn't seem to be a unified uh, position from the different parties uh, that represent Palestinian citizens. Can you help us understand these varied positions of the different factions within the community towards these protests? Do they have any demands in this moment? Uh, do they see any opportunities when it comes to this massive mobilization? Um, what are what are their views? What are their positions? I can I can speak to both. I can speak both to what the parties are thinking and to what people are thinking. So let me start with the the political parties. the The main political parties, um, which are Tejemma and Balad, um, and the Jabha, um, as well as Ahmed Tibi's party, and the Islamic movement. They have yet to take a unified position. Dejemar has taken the position that they're not going to participate in these protests. And they've taken the position for what I believe is the correct reason, which is that this is not a protest for Palestinian rights. This is not, uh, this isn't even, there isn't even an opportunity to raise the issue. It's to the contrary. This is about preserving the idea of Jewish supremacy and making sure that that those who may be affected by these changes in the judicial in the judicial reforms um, are still protected. This is what it's effectively about. So Tejemar has taken the position that they're not going to be participating in these protests, and they haven't. Um, on the other hand, we have seen that Ayman Aoudeh, who's representing Jabha, has been to some of the protests, and uh, and at these protests. You can see the way that he has been treated, but you can also see how how low the ceiling is for for the demands that are, that are being made. For example, what he has, what the way that he views it is that there is an inroad that we can make an inroad and we can turn these larger protests into an overall protest about. Palestinian rights, that when people are talking about democracy, that we can highlight the elephant in the room, which is that Israel has been uh, exercising apartheid, not democracy, and we can bring those issues to the fore. That tends to be his way of thinking. We've also seen the same way of thinking by the leader of the, of the Islamic movement of the South, uh, Mansour Abbas. So this has effectively been their way of thinking. I have to say, though, I, I fundamentally disagree with this because I've seen what the reaction has been over the weeks since the start of the protest movement. This is a protest movement that is now in its 12th week. 
And and there have been different waves that have happened over the course of the 12 weeks. First, the first wave, so to speak, is that that Israelis were were calling upon Palestinians to join the protest movement. They wanted us somehow to rally around the flag, completely oblivious to how offensive it is to call on Palestinians to rally around the very symbol of our ethnic cleansing, of our oppression, of apartheid, you name it. Um, so that was the first sort of wave. Then the second wave that happened was that when there were some people that showed up to these protests, they were told, you know, don't don't talk about the occupation just yet. Your time will come. We're almost there. Our main goal is to bring down this judicial reform, to stop it, to bring down this government. Your day will come. That was the second wave. And now the third wave that is taking place is outright hostility. That if there is even an attempt to wave the Palestinian flag or to talk about um, uh, talk about Israel's apartheid or to talk about this system of oppression, that they are actually physically attacked. So you can see that that along the way, there we've I've been able to witness just the ways in which these waves have happened and the ways that in which Ayman Aude and others who've been attending these protests have have been received. For them, their their demand is a simple one. Let's just start talking about overall rights. But they don't realize that this is these this protest movement is not about democracy. It's about securing Jewish supremacy, and that's it. And there is no place for Palestinians in in the, these protests, nor do we want to be part of these protests because of again, these protests are about securing J- Jewish supremacy, and that's it. This uh, Israeli identity crisis that's been playing out in unprecedented ways in recent weeks, um, we've also, throughout all of this, have heard nothing from Palestinian leaders, uh, even though the outcomes uh, of this moment will surely impact Palestinians in significant ways, are already impacting Palestinians in significant ways, who are tremendously vulnerable as Israeli institutions shake all around them. Why do you think that is? And do you see this as a missed opportunity? Yusuf, I have to say, I am so thankful that they have stayed quiet uh, because I worry about the contribution that they're going to make and what it is that they're going to say. I worry that somehow they're going to praise this and say that that these this protest movement is wonderful. Um, I worry that what their reaction is going to be. Remember, this is the same. Can I just interrupt you though on this really yeah. quick? Because you know, I'm 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 thinking not just about the Palestinian leaders who have been most engaged in negotiations or agreements or collaboration with the uh, Israeli government, but really the whole spectrum of uh, leaders in Palestinian political parties. We really haven't heard much of anything about this, um, and so you know, I wonder wh- what is what is the strategic thinking in this moment. I don't know if there is. I don't know if there is uh, much strategic thinking. I'm not so sure that everybody understands what's happening in Tel Aviv. Meaning that I don't think that they understand the the why the protests are taking place, the nitty gritty of it. 
this is really very much an internal Israeli matter. And yes, you are right. This is going to affect Palestinians the most. It's not the least. The most are going to be affected by uh, by these changes, by by everything that's happening here, whether the protests continue or whether they end. Um, so it's not entirely clear to me why why they haven't taken um, why they haven't why they remained largely silent, as as you put it. I have to say, though, I really am happy that the leadership has remained silent um, because I've seen the mistakes that they've made in the past when they have rallied behind people like Yair Lapid or when they've rallied behind Benny Gantz and others, thinking that somehow uh, these people are alternatives to Netanyahu rather than exactly the same as Netanyahu, but just bearing different surnames. Um, so it's not entirely clear to me why, why that is the case. Um, one thing that I have been hearing from Palestinians, again, not in leadership positions, but Palestinians, is this general sense of um, sitting by and eating popcorn and watching this as this unfolds as though it's uh, uh, some Bollywood movie, because it really effectively is a Bollywood movie. We see everything from signs of people saying, uh, because of you, uh, McDonald's was closed, um, there is a limit you know, um, that's that's pretty Bollywood-like. Uh, or other signs that without democracy, there is no high tech. Really? Um, or the startup nation, the startup nation wants democracy. It's like, no, they don't. They thrive off of apartheid. That's, that's the whole essence of it. Uh, so for many, many people, many of my friends who are in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, it's been effectively watching a, a Bollywood movie and uh, having a having a nice bowl of popcorn. Uh, the Israeli government, most recently Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, announced that he is hitting pause for mm -hmm. about a month. Uh, but it isn't clear that this will necessarily end the protests. And now more right-wing supporters of the government are starting to mobilize uh, and hit the streets, which is not something that we had seen in the earlier stages of this, but is starting to become a factor now. And it's Amar Ben-Gvir, uh, you know, perhaps uh, the, the most racist among uh, a coalition of, of extreme racists, is getting expanding powers. Where do you think this all goes? You know, Yusuf, there's, um, there's, there's, they've been touching on, they've been hitting a lot of nerves at these protests. And if I may, I'll expand just a little bit on them. For, for some, for, for the majority of these people, the right-wingers, they have labeled this protest movement as being what they call the North Tel Avivian um, protest movement. In other words, it's the elite of the elite. And, and they are looking um, and only watching as somehow it makes a difference when it's the pilots who are refusing to go to the reserves rather than the other soldiers. And so the way that the right wing is viewing this is very much through the lens of class. Um, and, and it's been very interesting for, for, for me at least to watch this that that the way that Itamar Ben-Gvir has been gaining popularity is not just by appealing to the settler movement, which he's already got that, 
but by appealing to to people who are who are less well off than the North Tel Avivians, than less well off than the high tech people, less well off than the startup nation people, and uh, and so this is why you see that he now wants to create. Um, yet another militia, which is effectively what he's been given the green light to do. So the, the, what he's doing now is he's mo- rallying and mobilizing these people to to both attack protesters and to claim that they are um, that they are less nationalist than 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 the movement is than this right wing movement is, but also to somehow create a rift of this is the these are the people who are the elite um and we are we're the we're the real you know we're the real israelis it's some like crazy deep state stuff and you see this also being tweeted by yair netanyahu uh, uh benjamin netanyahu's son and so on so where does this lead us is in a terrifying place because Ben has been a person who has literally put Palestinians in his crosshairs. He's been indicted 53 times. He's been convicted of supporting terrorism. Um, and, and yet he's now been rewarded by being given a militia. He's been, he's creating his own movement uh, that, and it's given, been given the, the green light by Netanyahu himself. We're also seeing that there are rifts within the right wing itself. Just today, he came out and said and blamed Smotrich, uh, a person who was his running mate, um, for for caving in to to this protest movement. And in his and in on his Twitter feed and in uh, on his Facebook, he keeps saying the same lines, which is, "Why is it that this brigade, being the the pilots, is more important than every other?" Israeli. It's more important than the Israelis who are going to the army and who are uh, on the front lines, so to speak. So he is effectively creating a rift between within the Israeli society itself, which concerns me zero. I, I'm not concerned about that. But the way that he's going to do it is by continually attacking Palestinians. And we saw this just last night as this pause button was hit. We saw that an, uh, an, a Palestinian uh, reporter was attacked, and we saw that a Palestinian taxi cab driver was grabbed, nearly grabbed from his car and beaten to a pulp, nearly. He, was, he escaped it, but that nearly happened. So this is what I suspect is going to be more uh, coming in, in the next um, coming weeks. As we see this pause being hit, that that Ben Gvir is going to continue to build up this side of Israeli society, continue to to prop these these effectively young men up, and uh, and to use them against Palestinians, and to um, you know pretty much embolden the settler movement. The one thing that we see that people from the the economic elite and from the Ben Gvir class are are united in is is how much they hate Palestinians. And so they're going to, they're, as long as the attacks are directed at Palestinians, all will be fine. It's, it's whether it turns inwards that, that I think it will become a problem for Israelis. 
Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation today, but there are a lot of things happening and changing uh, almost by the moment. So we will surely be following this uh, very closely um, and covering this uh, down the line as well. Deanna, thank you so much for taking on five questions today. My pleasure. Thanks, Yusuf. Thank you for listening to Five Questions, a podcast by Arab Center, Washington, D.C. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast so you can receive announcements about upcoming episodes. Please visit our website, ArabCenterDC.org, to learn more about our work and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.